how to stop lying to yourself, why nobody owes you anything, what he told his father when his father told him that he was gonna be taking over 300 churches in Ghana, Africa, how he repaired his relationship with his father, how to listen to your soul, and so much more coming right up. This is episode number 386 with inspirational speaker and best-selling author, Coot Blackson. Hey, what's up, everybody? And welcome back to the Best You Podcast with me, Nick Carrier. I believe the path to getting closer to the best version of yourself is different for all of us, but I believe it follows the same framework. You see, our lives have six different areas, health, personal, career, financial, spiritual, and relational. And in order to get closer to the best version of ourselves, we wanna be managing all of those areas at all times, but also spiking in one of them. If you wanna learn how to do exactly that, then check out my free Best You Planner and video course at nickcarrier.com slash best journey. Again, nickcarrier.com slash best journey. Today, I am pumped to introduce you to Coot Blackson. Coot is a beloved inspirational speaker and transformational teacher. He speaks at countless events that he organizes around the world, as well as outside events, including AFEST, the Young Presidents Organization, and Entrepreneurs Organization. He's also a member of the Transformational Leadership Council, which is a select group of 100 of the world's foremost authorities in the personal development industry. He's also the winner of the 2019 Unity New Thought Walden Award. Blackson is also widely considered a next generational leader in the field of personal development. And his mission is simple, to awaken and inspire people across the planet to access inner freedom, live authentically, and fulfill their true life's purpose. Coot has a brand new book available for pre-order right now called The Magic of Surrender that you're going to absolutely love. So be sure you go grab a copy of it now and go follow Coot on Instagram at Coot Blackson. But before diving into the episode, be sure you're subscribing to the Best You Podcast on the Apple Podcast app, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and be sure you share the episode with a friend or family member while you're listening. All you have to do is send them to nickcarrier.com slash podcast. And if you enjoy the show, then I'd love it if you leave a five-star rating and review. But without further ado, here we go. Here's to getting closer to your best you with the one and only Coot Blackson. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Best You Podcast. I'm super excited to be joined by the one and only Coot Blackson. Coot, I just want to start off by saying thanks so much for spending time with me today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, of course. So when I was doing a little bit of uh, research back into your story, I was really fascinated and kind of want to start at the point when you were 14 years old and your father kind of said to you and kind of announced that he wanted you to be taking over his church and, and everything like that. And you kind of knew deep down that that wasn't your calling. And you kind of had the courage to step up and tell him that that isn't what you wanted to do. So I wanted you to tell us a little bit about that situation and how you had the courage at age 14 to, and the self-awareness at age 14 to realize that that isn't what you wanted to do. Yeah, my father had 300 churches in Ghana, West Africa, uh, hundreds of thousands of followers, a huge church in London, four to 5,000 people every Sunday. So he was kind of an iconic man, considered the miracle man of Ghana, West Africa. I grew up seeing blind people see and deaf people hear and people stand up out of wheelchairs. People would pick up the sand that my father walked on, wipe it on their face and stand up. And wow. so this was my father. And they, get, they, would, they would get healed. And so I grew up around this environment. And 
when I was age eight, I started speaking to my father's churches. He just threw me in the audience one day and said, speak. And so that began my speaking career. You know, as a kid, I was always questioning. I had this deep curiosity about life. I felt people's pain very deeply. So there was a deep part of me that felt a calling to alleviate people's suffering. I didn't know what that would look like. And so I started asking myself from a very young age questions of why are we here? What's the purpose of life? What's the nature of, of existence? Where do we come from? Is the purpose of life just to wake up, make money, make babies, go on vacation, buy a house, and, and then die? Like, surely there has to be more to this whole thing than that. So I started reading books from a very young age, uh, spiritual books, self-help books, uh, Eastern mystics, Western mystics. And so I started speaking in my father's church when I was age eight. That began a whole journey for me. But when I was 14, he announced, my son is taking over. And I remember being on stage and my heart sank in that moment because, you know, when, when you hear something that's not true, that doesn't resonate, and I felt all of this pressure, thousands of eyes on me, my father's expectations, my heart sank because I knew that this was not my path. I knew that this was not true. My heart sank because I knew that I was going to disappoint my father. And my fear was if I dared to be myself, if I dared to speak my truth, if I dared to be honest, if I dared to reveal who I really was, I would lose his love, I'd be outcast, I'd be alone, I would lose his love and sort of lose the love of the community. And as a kid, this, this is what I was terrified about. And I think so many of us as human beings, we hold back who we truly are. We don't speak our truth. We live out of integrity. We betray ourselves because we're afraid of the consequences of what it will be to be authentic, what it will be to be ourselves fully. And to me, this is what it is to be living dead. This is what it is to live death, so to speak. And I went along with it, got ordained as a minister, a lot of hopes pinned on me. My life was pretty much set out. From four, 14 to 18, I went through a tremendous questioning and turmoil. All the self-help books I've read, Jack Canfield, Jim Rohn, Tony Robbins, all, but these guys were in America inspiring people in seminar rooms, in hotels, and it wasn't in the church. And I thought, wow, this is what I want to do. So I had this epiphany that I, I felt this calling that I wanted to come to America, specifically Los Angeles, where most of these people live, and go into this field. And I had no idea how I was going to do that. I just felt this deep calling. I always say that whenever you feel the calling, listen to it. You don't have to know how you're going to get there or the way it's going to happen. But I believe that whenever you follow your authentic calling of deepest truth, life has a way of orchestrating things. And you will always end up in the right place, even though the route that you take may not be the one you most expect. And so I said, yes. And uh, I looked into my future, by the way, at 18, and I realized I had certain decisions to make. I saw that if I followed the expected path, my life was set out for me. I could be successful by anyone else's standards. But if I didn't have myself, if I didn't have my own integrity, well, what the hell do I have, you know? And I felt such a pain. I felt like a soul suicide. And so I decided I was going to confront my, tell my father, speak to my father, not really confront, but it felt like a confrontation. I felt like I was going to tell him the truth. And I grieved it. I cried. I felt like I was going to break his heart. My heart was broken, but I decided to choose myself. And I think there comes a moment in our lives where you realize that you cannot be truly fulfilled and happy being someone that you're not. You cannot be truly fulfilled and happy living someone else's life. And I chose myself and I spoke to my father. It was terrifying. We sometimes think we have to get rid of fear in order to follow our dreams. But it was, I was terrified, trembling. And I told my father the truth. 
And he said, okay. And we didn't speak for two years. And that was really rough. So talk, so talk me through that. So when you had the conversation with him and he said, okay, was it as simple as that with regards to him being like, not necessarily accepting of it, but he didn't give you backlash, but then he still just- We didn't it. speak for two years. So that was kind of a- <laughs> Yeah, that was the backlash in and of itself. I thought he was going to scream and yell. He, he didn't. He just said, okay, are you sure? I said, yes, that was it. No conversation for two years. And then I remember feeling so lost and alone. I felt abandoned by the universe. Like I'd been given this vision and this dream. And now what the hell do I do with my life? I'm not going to go to university. I have no money, only my mother's support. And I felt like I was in a desert, you know? And it's in those darkest moments that I think life, God, whatever you believe, shows up if we have faith. And I said a prayer to the universe. It's a universe, like, if any of this shit that I've read, if this stuff works, if if these books, if these self-help books and transfer, if this works, I need to know it works now. And someone, I think it was a few hours later, hands me a magazine called The Economist. I feel a little chill in my body. I'm like, hmm. I opened the back. It says the American government's giving away 55,000 green cards at the green card lottery. I win a green card. Basically, I enter it. I win a green card in the lottery. That was a sign for me that I was on the right path. And that's why I say, if you follow your truth and don't compromise your soul, your soul has an intelligence. Your soul has a knowing. Your soul is connected to all of existence. And when you follow your soul... It knows what to do. It knows how to fulfill itself. Many times we don't, but I think our soul does. And so I came to America, two suitcases, $800, uh, showed up, came to Los Angeles. It was terrifying. I was so excited, 18 years old, two suitcases, excited, felt like I was entering a new world, and I felt like I was on the right path, you know? And I think one of the things that really I would encourage everyone that really helped me, if people are wondering, well, where do I start? I didn't come from a rich family. I didn't have any support. I didn't have a college degree. I didn't have any special connections. But one of the things that really shifted my life back then was my willingness to tell myself the truth. I think as human beings, one of the ways that we keep ourselves stuck, we keep ourselves in a bubble, we keep ourselves in shackles, are all the lies that we tell ourselves. We are constantly lying to ourselves about who we are, about how we feel, about what we want, about what's true. We stay in relationships that we know aren't right or aligned. We work jobs that perhaps compromise our integrity in some way. You know, we sell ourselves out. We betray ourselves. And so to truly shift one's life, I think we have to be willing to face the truth, feel the truth, acknowledge the truth, tell the truth. Then our life begins to shift. For me, it was acknowledging this is not my destiny. This is not my path. So three questions I would give people to sit with is number one, what lies am I telling myself? Just simple, simple question. What lies am I telling myself? It sounds simple, but not always easy because there's a fear of if I tell myself the truth, then what will happen? What will the consequences be? So number one, what lies am I telling myself? Number two, what am I pretending to not know? In so many ways, we're constantly pretending to not know certain things. What am I pretending to not know? We're constantly playing a game of confusion. I'm not sure. I don't know. I'm confused. I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know if this relationship is right or wrong or if I should leave. When deep down, we know, deep down, there's a part of us that knows everything at the deepest level. We are everything. 
We know, but we're often afraid to acknowledge the truth. And sometimes the confusion creates a smoke screen where we kind of like don't have to take action because if I'm not sure what my purpose is, then I don't have to do anything about it. If I'm not sure if the relationship is right or wrong, maybe I don't have to make a decision to leave it, even though I know it's not really right. And often, maybe you've had this experience when you were in a relationship that you weren't sure about or you pretended to be not sure about and you left it, you immediately told your friend, you know what, I knew that was never going to work. Deep down, we, we know. So we have to take responsibility, tell the truth, acknowledge our knowing. And number three, really sit with and feel the pain. What is the pain that the lies I'm telling myself are costing me? What is the pain that is costing me? And the willingness to feel and acknowledge the pain. I think this is key. I think this is super important to sit with the pain, to feel the pain. And what we tend to do as human beings is we feel the pain and we suppress it. We resist it. We deny it. We sex it away, drink it away, smoke it away, uh, shop it away, social media it away so that we don't have to feel the pain, which just allows us to keep continuing in dynamics and situations and patterns and toxic relationships that aren't right. It allows us to keep lying to ourselves. But if you feel the pain, I say pain is a gift. Pain is your friend. Pain is feedback. If we can learn to embrace the pain and use it as a feedback mechanism that the pain is showing you where you're not aligned, the pain is showing you where you're not living in integrity. When you lie to yourself, it's meant to be painful. When you lie to yourself, it's not meant to feel good. So that pain is there trying to show you and get your attention. Wait a second. It's probably something you're not telling the truth about, probably something you're lying about, probably something you're not, you're not being sincere or authentic about within yourself. This is what we have to then look at the pain. What is this pain telling me? One thing that I've seen people ask sometimes is, how do I know if I'm lying to myself, if I'm lying to myself? <laughs> like, if I'm lying to myself, how the hell do I know if I'm lying to myself, right? And so I'm just going to share one thing real quick. This will, I think, guide people and, and help you bust yourself. If you're not sure you're lying to yourself, here's a few clues you might be. Number one, you feel some kind of emotional pain. Pain, emotional pain, consistent depression, sadness, anger, frustration, etc., etc. The emotional pain can be a sign that you're lying to yourself. Something's off. Physical pain, backache, shoulder ache. Something is, is manifesting in your body. It's like your unconscious speaking to you, trying to get your attention. Number three, some kind of dis-ease, ongoing illness or dis-ease, diabetes, uh, Lyme disease, a cancer. Like, dis-ease can often be the way, too, that your unconscious speaks to you through your body because your body has an intelligence. So ask yourself, what is my body telling me? What is this illness telling me? Sometimes it's trying to get our attention that we haven't been paying attention to otherwise. You might experience that life doesn't slow and there's a constant disconnect in life. Things just aren't in rhythm and flow and cycle. That's one thing. The other thing I found sometimes too is you might tend to attract people in your life that are in a lot of pain. Like, why do I keep attracting that angry, angry person? Why do I keep attracting angry people? Because they are the manifestation of your own suppressed, not acknowledged consciousness, not acknowledged lies that play. They act it out. They play it out because you're not acknowledging that lie. They're the people that you attract to show you what you're really feeling inside. So these can be a few clues that you're lying to yourself, but you may not know. Damn, that was just absolutely jam-packed. You guys need to go back and, and take some notes like I just did on the three different questions that you can ask yourself in those three different 
things that you can ask if you're not sure if you're lying. Those are super powerful and very much allow you to gain self-awareness and allow you to go through some self-discovery. And so for you personally, then what at, you know, at age 18, when you moved to America, you said you had this kind of period of time where you felt really lost and everything like that. What was, what is maybe one of the biggest lies that you were telling yourself that you finally discovered and it allowed you to make a big breakthrough or make a big realization or something of that nature? You know, here's one. I don't know if it was a lie, but it, it, it was definitely something I was telling myself that I had to give up. When I came to the U.S., I didn't have my father's support. When I came to the U.S., I came by myself without very much. When I came to the U.S., I felt I didn't know, to be honest, until my first girlfriend at the time said, I think you have some anger towards your father. And I said, hell no, this relationship is over. Goodbye. And then the next girl I dated said, I think you have some anger towards your father. And because I loved her so much. I thought, shit, this is the second time this happened in six months. Maybe I need to look at myself and I don't want to lose her. So let me, let me look at myself. And so there was a period of time where I spent a lot of time alone because I had no money. I was completely broke, but I had a vision to impact people. And so I didn't have money to go out and do anything. So I would just stay at home and meditate and journal and just hang out. Right. By the way, it was, it was, a, it was a cool thing because when I go out on dates with the woman that became my girlfriend, I was like, let's meditate. But it was really, I didn't have any money to take her anywhere. <laughs> she thought amazing. it was really cool in the beginning when all we were doing was just, we kept meditating every day, you know. But I would spend time by myself at home. And I remember one time I felt so unhappy. I felt so frustrated. I felt like I had so much potential, so much to give the world, so much to contribute. But I felt like I wasn't getting ahead. I felt like every day was a struggle. I felt like... My dreams were never going to happen. I felt like life was unfair. I felt like other people had opportunities. Other people had family support. Other people had their parents' support. Other people had a leg up on me, you know, that they were starting higher up the rank and at rung. And I just felt so, I felt abandoned by life. And I realized I felt abandoned by my father. And I was, I was angry. I didn't even know I was angry. But I was angry and resentful and frustrated and, and why don't I get help and why doesn't he support me, understand me, et cetera, et cetera. And I realized I'd been carrying this sort of unconscious frustration around. And there was a moment where I was sitting there in a pity party, feeling sorry for myself, blaming my father for not being where I wanted to be. And it was like, I don't know what happened, but it was literally like a flash of insight where I heard this voice say, no one owes you anything. Your dad doesn't owe you anything. Your mom doesn't owe you anything. God doesn't owe you anything. No one freaking owes you anything. You have everything. You've been given everything. The universe, life is giving you everything. It's what you do with that that makes a difference. And so I got the sense that in order to really be free, and I wasn't really like breaking through. I felt stuck. In order to really get unstuck, I realized I had to give up any sense of entitlement and blame. I had to just give it up. And I really got in touch with the fact that my dad did the best that he could do based on his childhood, his upbringing, his dad wasn't around. He didn't know how to be a father. You know, he came from a different culture, a different day and age. And in that moment, I forgave him. But I realized, wait a second, he didn't do it on purpose. He just didn't know better. But, but when I forgave him, I took my power back. And when I gave up this, this idea like he owes me something. My dad owes me something. It freed me up completely to stop waiting, 
to stop blaming, to stop being a victim. That moment, I felt my life beginning to shift in a different trajectory, so to speak. And that was really, really liberating. And that's why, you know, my first book was called, like, You Are the One. You Are the One. Like, one of the first sentences is, no one's coming. Yeah. <laughs> that's like sentence number one. No one's coming to save you. Buddha, Mother Teresa, Santa Claus, no one's coming. And in so many ways, we are sitting around waiting for someone to do it for us, for someone to, like, like at, at that moment, I wanted to do a TV show and I wanted to be the next Oprah. And I was kind of waiting for someone to discover me. And yeah. when, when I really got this epiphany, I said, screw it, I'm going to go out and create. I'm going to go out and find people. I'm going to go out and, and add value. And it just changed my entire uh, paradigm in way of yeah. That's awesome. I think that's so powerful because so many people do, whether or not even they realize that they believe that somebody owes them something, so many people don't take action because they believe that somebody does owe them something. And something I meant to mention earlier when you're talking about how pain is kind of revealing to you something that needs to be brought up or addressed, you know, a couple, one of the couple lines that you have in your book, You Are the One, is to be dissatisfied is to know you were made for something more. To be dissatisfied is to listen to the truth that is buried deep within you that you were born for greatness. And I think that's so important because I talk to people sometimes about if they're not sure what goal to set for themselves at the moment, like what's bothering you? What's keeping you dissatisfied over a prolonged period of time? And then how can you develop a goal to overcome that dissatisfaction or overcome that pain? And I just think that is super true and uh, very apparent. But one of the things that I want to that I'm super curious about now after talking about it. So you said you didn't talk to your dad for a couple of years. Talk to us about at, after two years, did you talk to him again? What was that conversation initially like? Yeah, uh, after two years, you know, I was in my early 20s. And I went, to a, I went to this men's retreat and, you know, guys in the forest were, you know, running around being men, right? And it, it was really profound, to be honest. And I remember doing this, going through this process at this men's retreat where, I got to basically forgive my father. And it was like, no matter what he was and what he was, and I loved it, it was a whole nother level of forgiveness. And that was so profound. Like I wept and I cried and I, and I just got in touch with how much I loved my dad. And it didn't matter what he did or what he didn't do. I think I understood it here, but it went to the depth of my heart. And I think so many of us were waiting for our parents to apologize to us. We're waiting for, for them to, to say, I'm sorry. We're waiting, for, we're waiting for them and we're holding that grudge. And I'm not going to, you know, and that's not to say there aren't certain situations that may have been really abusive and what have you that, you know, we have to. But whenever we wait, we hold that grudge and we wait for the other person to apologize before we forgive. We keep ourselves stuck. We block our own blessing. We keep ourselves in prison. And we give our power away to the other person, to our parent. And so I'm just going to reinforce, this might be a little challenging for some people to hear, but it's your parents owe you nothing. Your parents owe you nothing. They gave you life. They gave you life. And if that's all they gave you, that was enough. Now, obviously, hey, that doesn't mean they should be abusive. That doesn't mean it wouldn't be nice if they took care of you and, and gave you everything in the whole world, of course. But if you're waiting for your parent to apologize, you're keeping yourself frozen and stuck. They did what they did at that time, which may not have been right. But now is not then. And you are an adult now. 
And despite the fact they did what they did, what you and I do with that experience and how we choose to interpret it in this moment is what determines our freedom, not simply what happened to us back then. And so to me, the forgiveness is a choice of power that we make for ourselves, to free ourselves, to reclaim our power and shift not just your relationship with your parent, because sometimes that doesn't change because maybe they're toxic, maybe they're, you know, crazy, maybe they're narcissistic, maybe they're like sociopathic. It's true. So you might not be able to be around them. But what can shift is your relationship with your parents within yourself, your relationship with your parents within your own consciousness. That's the real shift, whether you ever speak to them ever again or not, because there might be some situations where it's not healthy to speak to your parents because of what they are. And so the relationship with your parents within yourself is the fundamental relationship that you get to release and free up so you can hold them differently and it doesn't consume you. And so when I forgave my father, like really forgave him, I kid you not, this is going to sound like uh, I'm making this up, but the next, that was on a Saturday, Sunday, the weekend seminar. Monday, I get a phone call from my father. First time, first time ever. Out of the blue, out of the blue, like we hadn't spoken. And he says, no, son, I was thinking of you. And I, and I just, just think it's time that we, that we talk. I love you. It's time that we talk. Call me. And I was, was you know, when we had answering phones, right? I, I was shocked. The last thing I thought. And it made sense. Like I had shifted and the energy shifted. And as a result, we're all interconnected. So he was, at the deepest level, we're all connected. We're all communicating to each other's souls. And so... Maybe he got the message. And yeah, shortly thereafter, I, flew, I went back to London to see my parents. And for the first time in my life, we spent some time alone, just kind of talking. It wasn't like we talked about everything, you know, because, you know, he's an old school guy. He doesn't talk about all, all of the feely, feely stuff. But I just got to express to him, you know, how much I love him and I needed him and I missed him and how much he meant to me, you know. And it, was, it wasn't like we had the most incredible relationship overnight. It was a slow process of just, of no longer feeling resentment, no longer feeling anger, no longer just, just being kind of at peace with him. And that was way back. But over the years, we've gotten really close. And when my mother passed in 2017, I already had a pretty good relationship with my father, but, but we weren't as close like my mother and I were. And, and when my mother passed away, I'm the one that made a decision that I, the past was the past. Here's what it was another level of forgiveness, you know, a whole another level that I said, I'm going to call this man every single day. Now, I didn't call him every day. We just spoke whenever we spoke. My mother, we spoke four or five times a week. My father, I said, I'm going to call him every single day until the day he dies. If there's 100 years, 50 years, I'm going to call him. I'm going to dedicate myself as a yoga, as a devotion, as a spiritual practice to call him every day to see how he is. As a, as a duty of being a son, because I realized I was not a good son. I didn't take that role seriously. You know, I didn't show up and really love him. And it didn't matter what he gave me. It didn't matter, you know, because in my mind, it was, it was always, well, relationship is two ways, you know, and he should call me too. And I just dropped it all, everything. And I said, I love him. I'm going to love him. Doesn't matter what happens. I love him, and that's all that counts. And if he dies, I will know that I give him the love I have. And that freed me up because I dropped all expectation. I just started calling him every day. 
and how I dad how he feels dad what's going on it wasn't like profound conversation. I spoke to my dad this morning hey dad checking in on you seeing how you do that's it did you eat did yeah. you take your protein powder and slowly it transformed our relationship to a whole nother level of into of like connection and appreciation and respect and love and we're very close now so people may not change but you can change and that can change things and yeah. that's that's the beauty that's awesome man that's a beautiful story and i acknowledge you for taking kind of ownership of your relationship with the relationship like you said sometimes it's not just about the kind of external relationship between you and them, but it's the relationship that you have internally kind of with the relationship itself. And I thought that was really powerful. Now, one thing I want to kind of transition a little bit to is you talk a lot about how, you know, your soul speaks to you and you want to listen internally because that will reveal to you kind of, you know, your path and your purpose. A lot of people use the phrase, trust your gut, and they use different phrases like that when talking about like listening to yourself and listening to your soul how do we determine what is truly our soul speaking to us and what is something like fear when something like fear is speaking to us? Because I think oftentimes we can get those two voices misconstrued and we can interpret sometimes fear as our gut and potentially vice versa. We'll be back to the interview in just a second. But first, I wanted to share a quick testimonial from a past participant of the 10-week transformation program. I started running the 10WT in the beginning of 2020 and I've had over 150 people on counting go through it and they've seen amazing results both inside and out. If you're inspired to join after listening to the testimonial, then go to nickcarrier.com to learn more. We'll get back to the episode in just a minute, but first, here's what they had to say. Hi, my name is Abby. I joined Nick's 10-week program to eat healthier and get stronger. This is the healthiest that I've ever eaten and I could tell changes in my body within the first few weeks. My favorite part of the program is the accountability that the program and Nick offers. You should join Nick's 10-week program. Look, so look, as human beings, I think part of why we also get misconstrued is because we're wrapped up in the dynamics of our condition. And so as human beings, we're so conditioned from childhood. We're born free, unconditioned, and we meet our parents. They're doing the best that they can do. Then we get conditioned. They get conditioned in two ways. The first way is we start learning to shut down, disconnect, not feel. We suppress, we suppress, we suppress emotion, 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 stuff. The emotion builds up, builds up. Feelings build up. We suppress even more. And before you know it, our true light, our true intuition, our true essence is hidden underneath mountains of unprocessed guilt, shame, hurt, pain, anger, resentment, emotions, and feelings that we've learned to suppress and disconnect from to function and survive because it's too painful to feel. Right? And so that essence, the true nature is always there, but it's just now hidden. So that's one. Number two, we learn to contort ourselves into a certain shape, the sense of who do I need to be in order to get love, validation, and approval. So we learn to be who we think we need to be in the world to get love, to get validation, to get approval. And we start trying to fit ourselves and become the person. And we become a person that we hold on to very tightly to avoid pain and get love. This becomes who we think that we are. We get kind of like, like a piece of paper. We get crinkled into a certain shape. Like if you're listening and I'm holding paper, I've just crinkled it up. Now we become this person based on our conditioning, based on getting love, avoiding pain. And we think, no, this, this is who I am. This is me. I, this is really who I am. I'm just this way. 
The question is, is this who you are or is it just who you've been conditioned to be? We've been conditioned and the degree to which we're conditioned is the degree to which we're not free. So based on that, you see, from, from the moment we're born to every single thing that happens to us from childhood, every experience is stored in your nervous system. The nervous system is the antenna to the world. Information comes in. Your nervous system is the faculty that interprets this information and makes meaning out of it. That means every pain, every trauma, everything your mother said, everything, everything, religion, society, media, you know, school, anything you've been through gets trauma. What your dad said about love and money and food and sex and this people and black people and white people and this and that, and every, it just gets stored there, even things you don't remember. So in a sense, your ability to decipher and interpret reality is going to be impacted by the amount of, let's say, unprocessed stuff or junk in your nervous system. And so what I would just say as one way of answering your question is if you do the mental, the emotional, the spiritual, the psychological, therapeutic work to heal yourself and clear your nervous system of the residue, the toxicity, the pain, the trauma, the hurt, the emotionality, the more you can clear yourself, the more refined your nervous system, the clear your nervous system can be, then when information comes in, you're that much more able to decipher it and discern it clearly. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, what you think is an intuition is not going to be an intuition. It's going to be some reactivity from your conditioning. Ah, this is my intuition, but it's not. Ah, my intuition is telling me to go do cocaine. My intuition is telling me to, that I'm in love with this person. My intuition, no, it's just your freaking, you know, insecurity and conditioning that is convoluted. So the more we heal ourselves, the clearer we get, the more clear our nervous system gets, the more space to truly see clearly. Otherwise, we're wearing blue sunglasses and we think everything's blue. So doing the work. So on some level, there's not like a hack to it. It's doing the work, the real psychological, mental, emotional, psychological, and spiritual work to clear ourselves. That's one. The other way, so, so as you do that, the other thing I would say is when you are able to you kind of sometimes, you will know when your intuition is also speaking because it doesn't really come from you. It doesn't come from the analysis of the paralysis of the mind. Usually your soul speaks to you, not always in some loud thing, a gentle nudging because it's not coming from your strategic mind. It's coming from a deeper dimension of your being that is unconditioned. It's unconditioned. And so sometimes your intuition, you might not even notice but it just, you sense it. It just feels, feels right. Feels strange. Feels a little different. Yeah, I really want, it just feels like, you know what? This is interesting. You know what? Like first time I bought some land, I bought 40 acres in Joshua Tree in 2015 when nobody wanted it. No, I don't know if you know Joshua Tree, but no one wanted to go to Joshua Tree. It's two hours outside of California. Now everybody wants to go to, to Joshua Tree. You can't even buy land there. Everything is exploded. 2015, you couldn't give it away. I just followed an intuition. I went there. I've never been there. No idea why I went there. And I just followed the clues. This is kind of how intuition is. You just follow, you learn to follow the clues. This is what surrender is. You learn to let life lead you. And the real estate agent said, he showed me a bunch of lands and he said, oh, we ha- I have this land, it's 40 acres, but on our way back, let me show it to you. And I'm thinking, my mind is thinking, why the hell would I want to see a 40 acre piece of land? 
what am I going to even do with that industrial tree where I don't really want to live? But I followed it. And when I went there, I stood on the land and I felt, I felt something. It's very gentle. It's very subtle. But I felt it. I felt that something like, pay attention. It's feeling. Very, like sometimes the feeling of the soul, the way soul speaks to you, is so subtle you can miss it. And many, many times our soul is speaking to us but because we're in our mind thinking, no, 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 should be this way. So give up how you think it should be. Number two, stop trying to impose your will on reality. Number three, you have to want the truth more than you want what you want. Because sometimes what you think you want is going to cloud your intuition and the mind can justify anything. Like, no, I really want to do this because. And we start our justification process, right? And so you have to like, not be attached and be available and open. When you are, you will often feel a sensation, something subtle, like something feels, something feels right. So, so, so your intuition of your soul is not arising from your conditioned strategic mind, but somewhere deeper. And it tends to have a different feeling, a different texture, a very gentle sense. It might be loud, but it feels a little different because you haven't like thought about it. You can go and think about it and, and run it through some, some hoops later, but at first it just feels like different. That was good, man. That was good. Well, uh, Coop, before I ask the last question, I just want to acknowledge you, man. This has been so powerful for, I know, for so many people. And I really loved the parts about being able to ask yourself some questions to make sure that you are telling yourself the truth and you're not telling yourself lies. And I really loved the clearing your nervous system, clearing all the junk so that that intuition to so your soul can, you can't actually hear it and it's not completely sounded out and silenced by all the, all the crap that has happened, has happened in the past. And I just want to acknowledge you personally for the work that you did on yourself, especially with repairing your relationship with your father. First, the relationship that you had with the relationship and then actually, actually with him. And I think that's a, a powerful story for, uh, for me and, and for so many. So I appreciate you, uh, sharing that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Course. Well, I know people are going to want to go learn more about you and all your work and everything like that. So you guys make sure you go to his website, coopblackson.com, and you can follow him on Instagram at coopblackson. And then he's got two awesome books as well. He mentioned one of them, You Are the One, and then The Magic of Surrender. Y'all can go order those as well if you've got, if you were spoken to by any of the things that he was talking about today with regards to finding your purpose, stop telling yourself lies, realize that other people don't owe you anything and every, everything like that. So is there any other good place that people should go learn more about you? If it would be okay, depending on when people are listening to this conversation, the paperback version of The Magic of Surrender comes out May the 3rd. So depending on when you're listening to this, May the 3rd, the paperback comes out, folks. Check out the paperback, share it with your friends, available on Amazon. <clears throat> but what I'm doing, for those that feel inspired, on May the 7th, I'm doing a very special live intensive transformational seminar. It's called Reinvent Live seminar. It's online. It's virtual. You can do it from home. As you know, the world has been changing. The question is, how do we reinvent ourselves? How do we become more of the authentic version of ourselves and share our gifts with the world? So May the 7th, I'm doing a very special seminar. Uh, simply, if you purchase the paperback, you get to come to the seminar. The paperback is your entry to the seminar. You can go to www.cootblackson.com forward slash reinvent seminar kublaxon.com forward slash reinvent seminar you can also find me on instagram facebook and uh, my podcast soul talk 
That's awesome. I hope you guys make sure you guys go uh, go do that and get in touch with that seminar because I know that today was just a brief preview of the value that you're going to be given during that seminar. But last question here, Coot, is I think that getting closer to the best version of yourself is both a constant journey and a unique journey. I don't think we're ever at that best version of ourselves. I think it's a continual process, never-ending process. And I think that the way that I'm going to get closer to the best version of myself is going to be a little bit different than the way that you get closer to the best version of yourself. So the question is for you personally, if there are three things that you can currently do or three things that you could currently work on to get closer to that best version of Coop Blackson that you could possibly be, and what are those three things that you could currently do or currently work on? In my life, in any area, right? Yep. Hey, man, I think the simple things, I mean, this is going to sound very basic. <laughs> uh, first one, stretch more take some time to really stretch i actually you know i work out i exercise a lot i realize i don't stretch enough and it sounds simple but i think when we don't stretch the body gets tense the body gets tight energy doesn't flow energy doesn't circulate when energy isn't circulating with ours as expansive and so i think stretching is so important that i underestimated and and so stretching more is key you know, having more fun, I would say, finding ways to like have more fun and be playful. Sometimes life can be very serious and intense. And so uh, something I, I haven't really prioritized play as a part of my process got to be serious. And so I would say uh, finding ways to play, finding ways to play, finding ways to have fun. It's a beautiful thing. So that that's that's a growth edge. It's a growth edge. Number three, something I'm still working on is, is really asking people for help. I'm someone that I help people. I'm the one that helps people. I'm the one that gives to people. And so to really ask people for support and help in some ways, even asking friends, I hate inconveniencing people and asking for help. And, you know, and I don't ask that often. And so I think that's a real area to really to, to open myself just to letting people help me. Oh, those are three great things. And like you said, they maybe they seem basic, but they're powerful. I think some of the most basic things are the most powerful things sometimes. So that's all we got today, Coot. Really appreciate it, man. Y'all make sure you guys go to cootblackson.com. Also, cootblackson.com slash reinvent seminars so you can get that paperback edition and you can get access to that free seminar to help reinvent yourself in the world that we're living in that is ever-changing. But Coot, that's all we got today. Really appreciate it, man. Thank you. That was powerful. Wow, I loved it that episode with Coot. If y'all enjoyed that, please be sure to share it with a friend or family member by sending them to nickcarrier.com slash podcast. And be sure you go follow Coot on Instagram at Coot Blackson. Remember, we can often fall into the trap of telling ourselves lies. A few questions to ask yourself are, what lies are you telling yourself right now? What are you pretending to not know? What pain is being created in your life by telling yourself those lies? These can be so powerful to get you through a tough time. I also love it when Coot said that you have to want the truth more than wanting what you want. I thought that was really powerful and even more powerful to me was how he repaired his relationship with his father by realizing that no one owes him anything and no one owes you anything and no one owes me anything. But with that said, it's time to go out and realize that nobody owes you anything and to start taking action on your own and to stop lying to yourself because that will undoubtedly help you to continue getting closer and closer to your best you.